Okay, so this evening we're, we're going to go back um, to what happened shortly after Jesus rose from the dead. Um, this is actually one of, the, one of the stories that I thought we could have a look at when we were doing our series of Meals with Jesus. Um, so I thought before we move on too far from that, thank you, Kirk. <laughs> before we move on too far from that and before it becomes too distant a memory, let's go back there and just have a look at what, um, what we can hear from the Lord tonight. It's, um, it's a story that takes place immediately after the resurrection. And it's a story, quite interestingly, that, um, that only Luke records in great detail. In the other Gospels, it's only Mark who mentions it, and when he does mention it in chapter 16, it's only just like two lines. So Luke records it in, in, in quite a fair amount of detail here. So the context for what we're going to look at is that Jesus had been crucified on the Friday. His body was placed in the tomb. Sunday came the women went to the tomb. The women were the first ones. Um, they went to the tomb to spice the body. They didn't find Jesus' body. Um, as we know, they saw two angels who told them that he is not there. He had risen. And, she said to th- and the angel said to them, go back and tell the disciples. And the disciples didn't believe the women. And this is where the story kind of picks up um, in the way that Luke Um, records it for us. Um, Now this encounter between the resurrected Jesus and and these two disciples um, who are on their way to the town of Emmaus is is one of 12 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that is recorded in the New Testament. Um, And I thought we could just very quickly those are, are the, the, the appearances that Jesus made. So he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the women disciples at the tomb. That was on the Sunday. He appeared to the two disciples that we are going to look at in the next few minutes. Um, he appeared to the ten apostles when Thomas wasn't with them. And then he appeared to the apostles again in another occasion when Thomas was with them. Then he appeared to seven apostles on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then to 11 apostles at, um, at the mountain in Galilee. This was two weeks later. Um, and then there, was, uh, there is a record of a private meeting that Jesus actually met with Peter. Um, and then there's when he appeared to the apostles and the disciples just before the ascension, and then, of course, there's his appearance to, to a crowd of 500 people. Um, and then there's also a record of, of Jesus having met with his brother James. Um, and then there's Jesus' encounter with Paul on the road to Damascus. So those were the times when Jesus appeared um, that is recorded for us in Scripture. And so we're going to look at one of those um, out of, out of all of them. <clears throat> and we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, um, and we'll slowly kind of try to make our way through it. So we'll read a little bit, and then we'll chat about it, and then we'll read some more, and we'll chat. Um, Luke 24. Is there someone who'd like to read for us? So it, it's just those 
few verses there, and then we'll, we'll move on to the next. Thanks, Grant. Grant's got his own Bible back there. Um, Luke 24, chapter 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what, is, and, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just, a woman, it was just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Thanks, Grant. Wow. So, the, so we'll, we'll we'll stop there, and then we'll we'll keep going um, in a, in a moment. So, are there any things about that those first few verses that stand out to you? Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting point that they didn't recognize Jesus. Um, and there's some interesting. Facts that, that make it even more compelling it we'll, we'll chat about later. Is there anything else that kind of stands out? There's still that allegiance that remains. They were our leaders and they handed him over. That's a good point, Josh. Any, anything else? Okay. Mm. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. Hope is in the past tense. Yeah. Uh. So, so Luke is for us is is the only writer who records the story in so much detail, and and he tells the story to us in the form of what appears to be an eyewitness account. It's not recorded in in the way that some of the other um, uh, occurrences that have happened in in the Gospels. Have have been recorded. It's like almost like a blow by blow in the way that he's that he's recording it for us. There, so these these two disciples they are traveling from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Um, I managed to find an old picture. The earliest picture that I could find of the town Emmaus is that big one in the background there. Uh, there's some camels on the road that they would have walked on. That picture comes from the early 1950s. If you went to Emmaus today, the city would be in ruins. So in 1967, during the war between, um, the, between Israel and the Palestinians, the then Prime Minister, who was Yitzhak Rabin, 
um, because the town was populated mostly by Palestinians, the town was, was destroyed. So if you went there today, um, the town would have just a lot of ruins um, as it is. There, there is still a, a little chapel. So people do go there in some kind of pilgrimage just to see um, this, this very significant town. So these, disi- these, these disciples, they were probably in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Passover festival lasted about seven days, and they, while they were there in Jerusalem, they would no doubt have witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus on the Friday. Jerusalem would have been absolutely packed. Um, the historian Josephus um, records that... Um, there could have been easily about 250,000 families who went to Jerusalem. This was one of, the, one of the festivals, the feasts, that people had to go to Jerusalem. Does anybody know why? The temples there. And you see, so, so it would have been mothers, fathers, children, along with their sacrifice. Mothers, fathers, children with a lamb, um, or whatever the sacrifice was that they were going to bring. Everybody descended upon Jerusalem, and so people would have been camping around. Um, the city would have been a buzz, and so these disciples were in amongst that, and then they would also have borne witness um, to to the crucifixion of Jesus. We assume that this couple that gets mentioned here, they, they were a married couple. Um, there, there is a reference in, in John chapter 19 and verse 25 that kind of points us to that way. Um, it, this is what it says. It says, um, Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. So we kind of, that kind of gives us some indication it may have been a married couple who were, who were these disciples. But there is also um, a, an early church tradition that it could have been a father and son. But we, don't, we aren't sure um, about that. So these disciples, they probably began their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus early on the Sunday morning because they would have been unable to make the trip home the day before because it was forbidden to travel on the Sabbath, which would have been the Saturday, according to Jewish law. And so they would have set out early morning, probably shortly after sunrise, um, after having heard the account of some of the women who went to the tomb before dawn. Um, And we'll talk about the time because the time doesn't now seem to make sense. Um, on that's recorded for us on John chapter 20, and who reported to the apostles that angels told them that Jesus had risen from the dead as he had promised, and after also hearing that Peter and John found the tomb to be empty. So they had heard all of these rumors, and so that probably would have added to the confusion that, that they would have experienced. And, and so they, as they're walking this 11-kilometer journey, which probably would have taken them about two and a half hours, um, they, 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 all of these things are milling over in their hearts, in their minds, um, as, they, as they're talking about it, trying to make sense 
of what, had ex- what they had experienced in the last few days. And while they're walking and, and, and talking about everything that had happened, another traveler joins them. And this traveler is Jesus, but as you mentioned, they don't recognize him, um, which I, I find amazing. First of all, that they don't recognize him. And secondly, that, that Jesus is walking 11 kilometers after he had been beaten, after he had been whooped, nails driven through his feet, a spear driven into his side. Um, he's walking this 11 Ks. Um, and the eyes are kept from recognizing him. Ah, that's just, to me, it's just an amazing way in which it speaks to how he makes all things new. Um, yeah, and so they, they look visibly sad as, they, as they're walking, and Jesus asks them, as we discovered, what they're talking about, and they respond by telling him about this Jesus of Nazareth character. This person who they were following, and um, and and then there's that line that Craig pointed out to us. They say that we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. You see there how they they talk about their hope in the past tense. We had hoped, so it seems like there was a time when they had hope. Um, but now their hope was gone. There was a time when they, when they were hopeful, but now it seems that they felt hopeless. When I, I think about that this morning, so we're, we're at Explore, we're going through this series looking at hope. Um, and this morning we were reminded just again about um, just the phase that the world is going through, let alone our own country, um, and how it seems like many people feel that some of the situations that we consider seem hopeless. I mean, in our, in our own context, we have um, really high levels of unemployment. We've got crime, We've got gender-based violence. Um, our politicians are driving us up the wall. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, so maybe some, for somebody here, you know, this year started out and you felt hopeful. Maybe your year started out and you felt this year is going to be a turnaround year. You know, COVID's in, the, in my rearview mirror. And you had plans and hopes for what this year would bring, but now four months in, it seems those plans, um, they seem distant. And if that isn't you, then you wouldn't have to go far to find someone who is experiencing hopelessness. Um, and so I think that we have, maybe in this season, something in common with these two disciples as we consider some of the things that are going on around us. For some of us, we see that they had hoped that Jesus would be the one who was going to redeem Israel, and they were looking forward to something with confidence that it would come to pass, but now their hopes were sunk. I think as even as we read through this, um, it's a it's a 
it's a journey for these two disciples. It's helpful for us to remember that we are also on a journey. We are followers of Christ. It's a verb. We aren't stagnant. We aren't standing still. We are moving. We are following Jesus. And Jesus is taking us on a journey if we truly are followers. And sometimes I think we might be a little bit too destination-minded, forgetting that we are followers of Jesus. We are moving to somewhere. So where you are now is not where your story ends, as we're going to see this story lead us to. You know, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's even a testimony that we heard last week, remember, with the Leprinis and how they shared for us what their journey was like. And it seemed like at stages in their journey, there was hopelessness. They just felt like, I don't know what's going on. Couldn't hear Jesus' voice. Felt like they weren't in the right space. But as we look at them now, we wouldn't say that they were there before. So we are all on a journey moving to a space of amazing hope. And we will unpack some more. So, so we're going to, let's, let's go to the next few verses there. Um, we'll pick up at verse 25 of chapter 24. Can somebody maybe read verses 25 to 27? Just those three. He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What stands out to you there, perhaps? That's a good one. Jesus wasn't some Johnny-come-lately. As a, as a substitute in a plan that had been um, thought up generations in advance. Yeah, so, so, so Jesus says to these disciples um, who seemed to be stuck in the crucifixion while they were standing in the presence of the resurrection, he said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And then enter into glory. Didn't Jesus have to go through some stuff um, before he entered into glory? And he describes for them, no doubt, that there was a process at work, Grant pointed out to us now, in bringing the Messiah to this place. Um, God has a plan. You know, before you arrived, he had a plan. And the plan includes you. Um, <clears throat> and so it describes that there was this process um, at work in bringing the Messiah to that place. And they were witnesses to that. And so Jesus was at work, um, even with these two disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus. He was at work with them. Um, God was at work in their hearts and I, and I believe tonight that he's also at work in your heart as we journey to where he is wanting um, to take us. Um, and so God is not dead. 
He is not absent. He remains present and at work, ruling and reigning. And so, as Pastor Andrew pointed out, he delivers this amazing Bible study um, that I would like to have gotten tickets to, um, citing from memory passages from Moses and the prophets and explaining to them um, how each of them pertain even uh, to the Messiah. And then we go on and we read um, from, from verse 28. Is there someone who'd like to read that? Verse 28 to 32. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Mm. They got up and Stop returned. Stop oh, the, yeah, 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 that one. Thanks, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Anything stand out to you there? There's, there's a lot going on there. That must have been awesome, eh? He's like he's there now and then he's not there. You know, these, these, these details, they kind of reveal more about Jesus and what he might have been like if you were there in his presence that we kind of overlook. Um, so there's some interesting information there that just reveal more to us. Greg. Good one. So here's some details about, about what's going on here. Um, for the Jews, as, as we read what's going on there, for the Jews, the day ended at sundown. So that was the end of their day. Unlike us, for us, um, our day ends at midnight <laughs> when it's dark. Um, so, so for them, the next day began with the setting of the sun. They have a completely different um, perspective on that. So when the Bible mentions there it was evening, according to the cultural tradition of the times, the evening kind of began at 12 noon for us. Um, when the sun had reached its, its highest point in the sky and the sun was now starting to descend, in their perspective, that was evening. And it was the practice for them, actually, um, to take the main meal at noontime, in the afternoon. So that, do you, do you see how that kind of, for them, would be, it's an evening meal, but for us, oh, this is lunch. Um, and, and, yeah, and so um, it would have been considered that the day was descending into the evening, and, um, and their statement, so urging Jesus to stop and eat, with them would have been understandable. It wasn't just a snack. This was a main meal for them. And so Jesus, he, he accepts their kind offer, and he spends time with them. And up until this time, as Craig points out for us there, um, they were the hosts. But in that moment, um, Jesus moves from being the guest to being the host at the table. Um, and then, obviously, as the host would normally do, Jesus, he takes the bread, 
he offers the bread and he he breaks it and he gives it to them and in the in the intimacy of table fellowship there that we can imagine um, he offers the blessing and then suddenly they become aware of who he is and immediately their hope is resurrected their their downcast hearts were resurrected in that moment and so for them as grant pointed out Jesus is revealed in the breaking of the bread, who he is. You see, something happens, <clears throat> as I read that, I thought, something happens when we spend intimate time with Jesus. Something gets opened up, gets broken for us when we take time to spend time with him. Um, because I think you run the risk of missing Jesus um, if he doesn't look like something that you recognize. Um, because Jesus, he may be walking beside you unrecognized, as these two did, um, but just as Jesus isn't recognized by these travelers to Emmaus, he can be with you. And even encourage you in your struggles, even though you aren't aware that he's present. And the risen Christ, he's not limited as we are by geography or time or load shedding. None of those things limited, limit him. And so what I think we must do is, in the way that they did, we must invite him in. Ask him to come. As these, as these disciples did, and break bread with him. Ask him to come and to explain to you all that the scriptures say concerning himself, beginning with Moses and the prophets. Ask him, ask him to come. And you know what will happen when you do that? Your hope will be rekindled. And, and this, I think, is, is what happened with these two travelers, these two people who were on their way to Emmaus. And so these disciples, they felt their hearts burning within them. And this is what verse 33 says. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, when we, when we meet the real Jesus, there is something that wakes up within us that compels us to tell other people. And so we must go and tell others about this Jesus. Go and tell him about this Messiah who has come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are all on a journey. We are all on our way somewhere. Where we are now, where you are now, is not where you will be 
five years from now, ten years from now. And this journey to Emmaus that we've just had a look at here recounts for us the story of these two disciples who walk this 11 kilometers from Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus. It's recorded for us, but on the other hand also, it outlines for us, I think, the journey that we all take from not recognizing Jesus to understanding what the scriptures say about him, to recognizing him for who he is. And finally then to our giving witness of what we have experienced. And that must be this pathway, this journey that we need to be on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you have called us. We thank you that we can be part of, of your disciples. We thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, that you choose to break bread with us. And so, Lord, as we, as we go out to face this week, we ask that you will be continuing to work in our hearts, in our minds, continue to reveal more of yourself to us through your scriptures, continue to reveal more of yourself to us in our relationships with others who have also been called. Help us to give witness of what we have experienced because we want your kingdom to be realized here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.